Domestic violence is the pandemic that no one is talking about. Over the past year, domestic violence has increased exponentially and made it more difficult for survivors to access services. In order to address the domestic violence problem in our community, Harbor House of Kankakee has developed a way for you to make a difference. Join the Community Commission to End Domestic Violence. The Commission educates and activates the community by developing awareness initiatives, specialized training, and prevention activities so as to connect survivors to Harbor House and change the cultural response to domestic violence, thus creating a safer, stronger community. Commission members meet the third Thursday of every month at 5.30 via Zoom. Register for upcoming meetings at harborhousedv.org forward slash events. Together, we can end domestic violence. This message brought to you by Kankakee Podcast. To submit your nonprofit organization's PSA, email kankakeepodcast at gmail.com. Thankful for the way these stories hold on To the lifetime we won't get back, I know These rivers carry Welcome to the very first episode of Kankakee Podcast. I am Jake Lamore, your host, and uh, this podcast is all about the people and places of Kankakee County. And uh, I can't believe we're doing uh, the first episode. This is yeah. this is wild. Um, and uh, it it was really at first it was hard to think of who the first guest should be for this podcast because it's like well how do you where, where do you start there's so many people and there's so many amazing places in Kankakee County and then uh it, it dawned on me uh I guess it's been a few months ago now um I had a uh, a wonderful guy uh volunteer his time to uh help put the the uh desks here in our uh podcasting space he just helped me out one Saturday afternoon and um then, and I, I told him while we were doing this, while we were moving these huge, heavy things in here, and it was not easy, um, I said, okay, well, it, it's, it's settled. You are going to be the first guest on the podcast. <laughs> so let's uh, welcome Eric Peterson uh, from Project Headspace and Timing, and uh, also recently named the Daily Journal's Young Citizen of the Year uh, just this past year. And I think, I don't know if that's, is that considered for 2021 or 2020? I'm, I mean, if I was considered the young person of the year for 2020, I feel like that'd be so fitting on like different levels. You know what I mean? If I was ever going to be the young person of the year, it should be of 2020 for sure. Well, I, cause, cause I know it was announced in what, like February or yeah. January. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I'm like, I think it's 
considered for 2020? I'm, yeah, I'm going to I'm I would wear that crown proudly. <laughs> like, yes, I got that out of 2020. At yeah, least. right. You know what I mean, so. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, I, I followed through on my promise. Thank I told you. you I told you that you would be the first guest. And um, and I'm so glad that you are um, able to uh, be here this morning. So Thank you, so man. thanks for coming out on an early Saturday. Like we were talking about, we're both dads, so we're right. usually up early anyway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my daughter just got to the age where she now like leaves her room uh, okay. in the morning, and she'll just walk over into our room at like four in the morning. Yeah, and then she'll get super close to like my ear, and then she's just like, <laughs> Dad. And it freaks me right, out. I was it gonna freaks say, me yeah, out. It scares, you know I mean? scares the crap out of you, and right? And so, yeah, we're, we're always up early, man. So yeah. yeah, I just appreciate you having me here and doing this and not just doing this as in having me here, but like having a podcast to highlight the people that make this community so great, man. So thank oh, thanks, you. man. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to force myself to get more involved, you know, right. with the area. And I figured this would definitely kind of force me to meet new people and, and oh, just for sure. learn about new things, whether the new things are new pieces of history that I never knew about, or just like currently right. what's, you know, what's going on in the, the area. So, yeah. um, but, uh, but yeah, you're, you're talking about the, uh, <laughs> the kids waking you up thing. I actually have to sleep in the same room with mm-hmm. Owen cause he's so scared yep. at night. Yep. So I've been doing that for, you know, years now, but there's been some mornings where I've uh, had to go into work and um, my my mom is here or my girlfriend Lizzie is here and yep. Lizzie will be sleeping in my bedroom mm-hmm. and she's had Owen scare the crap out of her in the morning because he'll just come in. One morning he came in while she was still sleeping. He, he was just crying. <laughs> and she, it's just kind of, you know, well, we've seen like you, a horror movie. Yeah, it's like Dawn of the Dead. Like we all saw like the remake <laughs> of Dawn of the Dead, the very beginning, the kids just standing there in the darkness and then mm-hmm. it walks out from the like that freaked me out. And so now now, like, oh, that's my morning, like, every morning. I'm like, is my kid going to be a zombie this morning? I hope not. And I know that because I'm an adult. But in the back of my head, I'm just, like, a little worried. Like, she yeah. might be a zombie one of those times. It freaks me out every time she does it. So, yeah, totally understand that. Uh, well, we should, we could talk about our kids all day long. And I know some uh, some people that are listening to this are probably parents as well. Um, but um, I, I was just curious. You know, I've known you for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, f- I first met you, you came to, to uh, the radio station to do an interview. It was probably about one of the events you were doing for Project um, Head Time and Spacing. Yep, yep. Or Headspace and Time, excuse me. Yep. And um, so I, I feel like that's been at least a couple of years ago. I think so. Um, and so that's that's kind of when you and I connected. We just would chat here and there. I, I think we became Facebook friends at that point, mm-hmm. and just kind of seeing what everyone's doing but I, honestly beyond that and just seeing like the the many articles that have been featured about you in the daily journal like i don't know a ton about you so i was like i was excited to be able to like sit down with you and be like like okay where are you from you know like where you grew up like where where did it all start where is the beginning the birth of, right 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 of eric peterson just because i know and and i know there's people like myself that uh, maybe they, they they just see the headlines in the journal, but they they don't see other than that. Like they just know, oh, there's this Eric Peterson guy. He does all this cool stuff for veterans in Kankakee County. But 
I don't really know much because not everyone reads the newspaper. Sure. Not everyone uh, even just listens to the radio. Sure. You know. Right. So. Um, so yeah, what, where are you? You're not from Kankakee County, are you? No, I am. I was born and raised here, and that's why you know. For the Daily Journal to do the articles uh, about myself and our organization, it means so much to me to have that kind of support, too, because I wouldn't be able to do half the things I do if I didn't have that. But I was uh, born at St. Mary's, uh, born and raised in Kankakee. Yeah. (laughs) I went to uh, Thomas Edison Elementary. Okay. And uh, when I was a little kid, I got beat up a bunch. And so my parents were like, oh, my God. Why? Because... I was this just goofy. Oh, there's little, my dog. Uh oh, somebody's. somebody's <laughs> I probably, walking. You're, you're gonna. That, that I. I will go ahead before we continue. Sorry, Eric. Nope. I will introduce. You'll hear my dog Indy, uh, probably once in a while Cigar during dog. these. Yeah, during these podcasts. So I apologize for that. I still don't have like insulation soundproofing. In, uh, in our safe. space here. He's, he's keeping us safe. But anyway, so, yeah, why did you get beat up? As, so, I was just, or... I think I was always just an awkward little kid, you know? And uh, um, so when I was little, I went to Thomas Edison. I remember I would get beat up at the bus stop, like, all the time. And my dad worked third shift at the post office in Kankakee. Oh, and man. so he would be home sleeping, and I would come yeah. home from the bus stop crying like I didn't even go to school because I just got beat up at the bus stop. And so eventually my parents were like, all right, we got to do something about this. So we moved and uh, we moved from Kankakee to Limestone. Okay. And so I started going to Limestone and I wasn't getting beat up as much, but I was getting made fun of a lot um, because I was, you know, Limestone, Hersher area, predominantly a lot Caucasian, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And I am half Filipino, half white, which means nobody really knows what I am. Yeah, I was going like, to say, yeah, because you're you're in that gray area where yep. people probably most of the time assume you're Mexican. I get Samoan, which I'm like, that's a huge compliment because I'm like, I'd be the smallest Samoan. Those guys are like eight <laughs> feet tall. You know what I mean? And then where are Samoans from? Like Samoa? Samoa. <laughs> Samoa? I honestly don't that. know. I'm say, where were the Samoans. rocks from? But oh, that's right. He is a Samoan, right. isn't he? That's why I'm like, oh, a huge compliment. Yeah. And then Hispanic people would speak Spanish to me because they thought I was I, I was uh, I was Hispanic. And then that would almost confuse me because I'm like, if you think I'm Hispanic, maybe I'm Hispanic. Like maybe I am. If you think I'm you, you know what I mean? If you're confusing me for, <laughs> yeah. for one of your family members. Yeah. But at Limestone, um, so I was just kind of a little different at first. Uh, eventually, over the years, you know, I made a lot of friends there and uh, went to Hersher High School. I joined the Uh, Illinois Army National Guard between my junior and senior year. So I went to boot camp before I graduated. I had to have my parents sign stuff. And then after my senior year, I went to AIT, uh, Advanced Individual Training, which was in Fort Benning, Georgia, to become an infantryman. And then um, I turned 21 in Fort Bragg because I was getting ready to go to Afghanistan the first time. So I was born and raised in this area. Um, Which I didn't realize. Like, mm -hmm. for some reason, I assumed that you were born and raised elsewhere Mm -hmm. and you ended up here. No, yeah. My my dad has lived in Kankakee forever. My dad went to Kankakee High School, I think, East or something, back when it was like two, right? Oh, yeah. There was East Ridge. Yeah. And um, uh, why am I forgetting the other one? 
I have no idea. Westview? Yeah, that sounds Westview? right. Yeah. But uh, but yes, yeah, so my family's been my my dad's side has been in this area for a long time. My okay. mom came here when she was thirty in her thirties or so from the Philippines. Um, so yeah, I'd been born and raised in this area. That's why I kind of love this area so much. And I thought of leaving, you know, as many of us do in our younger years. And <laughs> what I, are you talking about? <laughs> no. And I did. Uh, I had to. I got to take little vacations to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> And, uh, those are those must have been some nice vacations. I'm a big fan of hummus. You know what I mean? I just love hummus. And so I just kept going back. Um, and then so I did the first tour. And the pita chips. <laughs> it's good. You know, yeah. you a little red, red yeah. bell pepper or something on there. Get a little spicy. So did the first tour, came back, and then I got a job at Riverside Ambulance. And I started going to KCC to become a paramedic. And... Worked at Riverside, loved it. I still talk to a lot of the guys from Riverside. Just those paramedics there were just, I'm very thankful that they're paramedics. I'll put it that way, <laughs> that those are the people that are the paramedics. They were just outstanding teachers. Mm-hmm. And then during that time, I had an issue, um, s- several issues, just being home, like just kind of transitioning from uh, my identity as a soldier overseas and doing that stuff and then coming back home. And so I took a job as a private military contractor where I functioned as a medic. And I did uh, another like three, two, two tours, two rotations in Iraq with the State Department and then another three with the DOD in Afghanistan. Wow. Yeah. So you, <laughs> so how many tours total? Is Six. That? Yeah, that's a lot. So in the private contracting community, like my friend, I have several buddies that they have no idea how many times they've been deployed. I asked yeah. one of my buddies and he thinks it's maybe 18, something oh like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, because wow. that's, their, that's their job. They just, they leave for three, four, five, six months, come back for a month and they just keep that rotation. So it was much more difficult for me to do, but- uh, And yeah, you know. you're talking about specifically in the, the private contracting, you-, you 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 wind up overseas mm-hmm. a lot more. Um, yeah, I mean, when the military, I, I imagine it depends on your unit and stuff, yeah. you know, and what your job is. But right. uh, yeah, as a um, contractor, especially a security contractor, you know, usually they're going to send you to a high threat area. You know, that's your job, depending on what you signed up for. Yeah. So did that for a while, <clears throat> came back um, at the request of both my wife and the Afghan government, because we kind of got kicked out. They kind of got kicked us out of Afghanistan because they said we were too aggressive. I'm like, whatever, man. We went that bad. <laughs> so um, after that, I did executive protection for an Indian chief uh, out east for about a year. Um, his tribe had split in half, and half of his tribe had taken – he had like a lot of properties that he owned and factories and stores and things, and it was all on reservation territory. And luck would have it that at the same time, his tribe split in half to take uh, half of his stuff. Um, My contract, we all were getting kicked out of Afghanistan at the same time. And so the powers that be, um, it ended up being a lot of us. uh, He hired a bunch of ex-private military contractors and a motorcycle club from Texas uh, to go and protect all the stuff for you. That's a real story. And I didn't know the details of the job until I got there. I just, I needed work. I called a buddy of mine and he's like, hey, we're up in blah, blah, blah. Uh, We're doing an executive protection detail. It's pretty good. It pays well. You know, if you can get out here in the next couple of days, uh, I think you'll like it. 
And a buddy of mine from St. Louis that I was in Afghanistan with, he was on his way there. So he picked me up and we went out there and we get up to this beautiful mansion, this beautiful mansion out on a lake. And it's like one in the morning and we're greeted by our our and where was this at exactly? I know you said New York. This was New York. Upstate New York. There's still some reservations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, we met our old project manager from uh, one of our private contracts in um, Afghanistan. And he's like, okay, guys, so this is what we're doing. And then he told us, like, all right, this is what happens. So this is, like, this is like the, uh, what is the, the Expendables kind of Like maybe like a stuff? great value version of the Expendables. <laughs> like, I'm not, I wish I was that cool and I had super witty, quick, like, quips, you know, but to throw out there all the time. it just reminds me of movies like that. Like all these ex-military guys it are now. so ridiculous. And, yeah, sorry, I didn't no, mean to interrupt. It no, just no. Made, made me think of that. Uh, and so we're up there. And and I'm just sitting here going like at the time it was like 2014. I'm like, dude, where am I? So we worked. I worked that contract for a year. Um, we got most of his property back. Um, the way it works, as that far as I know. so shady. So the way it works, as far as I know, is that. Like on reservation territory, typically a lot of the local police would not get involved with the uh, kerfuffles, mm-hmm. I'll call them, yeah. uh, unless there was an, a, an absolute threat to like life limb or eyesight, they'd kind of stay out of it. So what happened was, you know, this tribe that split up, they just kind of moved in, strong armed the existing uh, people there out, and then they took over certain properties. And so they grabbed us. Now, we didn't have weapons or anything like that. We just went in there and just kind of, it was more like rugby scrums. We're just like, listen, get out. Like, this is his stuff. We're taking it back. And the cops would sit on the other side of the road. Like they were and there. watching yep. you. Yeah. But they're not getting involved because it's on reservation territory. Yeah. But Un- they're probably just making sure that you're not going to like, you know, start beating up people, shooting right. and yes, all that. Exactly. And this happens more often than I knew because wow. there are other, that's happened before on other uh, reservations. Yeah. I mean, how many reser? I don't know how many reservations are in the United States, but no there has to be. Well, and it wasn't like so many. It wasn't like you were just you're just driving down the street in like Jurassic Park. You see a giant gate. It's like <laughs> reservation. You're like, oh, there it is. You know, like you're just driving, and then you get off at a gas station, and you're on reservation property territory, and you had no idea. Um, but I did. There's enjoy, no signs at all, at least for maybe, that particular one. I mean, there were some there were some signs about the the nation that lived there. Okay, but um, and the clan mother who uh. She was a very sweet woman. She was kind of the one that like ran stuff like the chief. He ran stuff for sure. But his mother was the clan mother and she really ran stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and she still checks in on me every once in a while because yeah. she liked me. So she'll send me a text and she's like, hey, Eric, how's everything going? I'm like, oh, things are good. Thanks for checking in. I'll send her pictures of my kids and stuff. Oh, that's cute. But it did that for a year. And then my wife was just like come home like please and so i then i took a job as a private investigator okay that's when the pi stuff that's when i became in. a pi okay. and then i traveled doing that all over for like three years and then i stopped doing that when uh when a buddy of mine killed himself that i was a medic to and that's why i started uh, project headspace and timing i quit the pi work I started. I got hired on by a good friend of mine, Rob Smith, who took over um, Serta Pro Painters of Homewood and Kankakee County as their franchisee, and uh, he just bought the business. And I told him where I was at in life because I was in a really weird place, and he knew my work ethic. 
And he was just like, dude, I'll hire you and I'll give you the ability to do the things you do need to do for the nonprofit as long as you can get what you need to get done, you know, for my business. And I was like, absolutely. And so then I started working there, which was a blessing because it allows me, you know, to do all the things I need to do, which having that work-life balance, man, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's so hard for yeah. so many people. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. But uh, very thankful for that, too. Wow. Man, I've got so many questions now. Let's go. <laughs> yep. So let's, let's, uh, I guess let's backtrack yep. a little bit. Let's talk about, um, w- let's talk about just joining the military. Okay. It, it was the Army. Mm-hmm. Army National Guard, yep. Army National Guard. Um, when did that come into play for you as far as like, when did you decide, okay, this is, what I want to do, or was it just kind of like, eh, I'll try it. I mean, did it have to do anything with, you know, being bullied or, or picked on or I think it's probably an amalgamation of things like I, or did your family have a military background? I know that obviously influences, you know, there's general, like, um, I have cousins who, um, followed in their dad's footsteps. They all, you know, they ended up, joining military and right. and be, being on the police force and things like that because their dad was a U.S. Marshal, you know, then he worked for the DEA, oh, you cool. know, so yeah. they just kind of like saw dad doing this stuff that grew right. up with it. So they ended up joining the Marines and, sure. you know, being, like I said, on the police force and all that stuff. So I wasn't sure if you had like a similar experience. So... Well, my grandfather was a pilot in World War II, which is awesome. That's so cool. I have all of his medals. Like, all my medals are in a box somewhere. Uh I don't know where they are. But all my (laughs) grandfather's medals are in a super nice shadow box that I have out. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if my house was on fire, I would get the kids and the medals. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But my uncle was a Vietnam was a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, is a Vietnam veteran. Uh, my father, he he did not, but my you know my grandfather, my uncle did. So there was a military presence in my family. It wasn't like overbearing by any means. There was no no pressure to join. But, yeah, so you weren't like a military kid, <laughs> right? No, like, yeah, and, or military brat or whatever they right. call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I just I. I was directionless. I don't mean for that to sound as bleak, I guess, as it does, but I was, you know. Well, you were, what, how old? 17. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I was starting to think about what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do college because I had no idea what I really wanted to do. I wasn't ready to make that type of investment, like, into going to college. And so the only recruiter that ever came to our school was an Army National Guard recruiter. And he came to our school and he talked about everything. And I was like, this sounds like a pretty sweet deal. Like, I'll I'll do this. And uh, it doesn't sound like we're going to deploy anytime soon. Huh? And uh, so, yeah, I'll join. I'll get my feet wet. How did that work wet. out oh, for you? Super well, by the way. And I figured I would just get my feet wet, see how it goes. If I like it, maybe I could go active. If I don't like it, no harm, no foul. I'll do my time. I'll get out. And uh, I did fairly well in the ASVAP. And then my recruiters like yeah but if you're in the infantry you get to shoot awesome guns and stuff and I was like that sounds so cool I'm 17 so I signed up for that and uh when the as soon as I graduated high school my unit was just we had like all this Vietnam era gear and I had this really old so I was a 60 gunner which is like a the M60 they called it the pig if you've seen what is that movie full metal jacket okay um what is his name? It's been Wolf so Mother. many years. So, it's I been a long time name. since I've seen that movie. That machine gun is in that movie. Like, it's an old machine gun. And then all of a sudden, one day, 
we got all this new stuff. And we're like, oh, cool. We're all getting new. And then, like, the next day, they're like, hey, you guys are going to Afghanistan. We're like, oh, oh we should have saw that coming, huh? Oh, man. So I'm 20. Talk about a bomb. Yeah. A truth, or right. a truth bomb or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so I was, like, 19, 20, and I was like, okay. And, you know, I joined. So this is what yeah. is, this is what I got to do. So this is how I'm going to know whether or not I want to continue to do this with the military or not. So I'm like, okay. And I just met my wife at the time. Like we just started dating and I laid everything out for her because I was like, listen, I just found out I'm going to deploy. We did it. I told her this at Northfield Square Mall. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting next to the water fountain in the food court when we still had water fountains. And there's still a water fountain. still there. The, the water fountain. Yes. The water fountain came back they're back they're back (sighs) yeah because you know there's a long stretch when they were turned off yep but and then in recent years one of at least one of them is is back on yeah but anyway yeah so so what year i know you said you were 19 or 20 at this time what what year was that see i deployed i joined in 2005 so this excuse me and I graduated in 2006, so I'm thinking 2000, somewhere between 2006, 2007, okay. 2007 when I found out. So this was when, because what, Obama became president in 08, right? Yes. So, but wasn't he the one that made the big push to get back into Afghanistan? I feel like, if, if I remember correctly, when he came into office, that was like one of his first things that he did, wasn't it? I'm not really sure. I remember the election because I was in Afghanistan okay. when we voted. Oh, okay. Um, so you were there before then. So yes. it must have started before Obama was right. in office. But um, but yeah, so then I did uh, the first tour. I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the military. I enjoyed it. It definitely brought more positives than negatives into my life and gave me a good foundation uh, that I could build at least the rest of my life on. Uh, But I wasn't sure if I was just built for the structure uh, of the military. So I did my time and it came, you know, it came time for reenlistment. And I was just like, no, you know, I think I'm good. So I got out and I thought I was done. But it's just like when you think about whatever it was you did in high school, whether it be like football or band or anything, you have those super long practices. And at the time when you're a kid, you're like, oh, this is the worst. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and then as an adult, you're like, man, I miss that. You know, yeah. I had a lot of fun doing that. That was, you know, I kind of miss that stuff. And so I realized that. And that's kind of what got me into going into being a private private military contractor. So that's how I kind of fell into that. And I wouldn't have qualified to be to be doing that th- that stuff if I hadn't been both a paramedic with shooter experience. Because if I just would have been Army National Guard infantry, uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to be a private contractor because there are certain things that they look for that they need, a certain amount of skill sets, which I'm not saying National Guardsmen don't have by any means. I'm just saying I wouldn't have been qualified at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, they needed paramedics really bad, and they really needed paramedics that had shooter experience. And so that's how I got pulled on with the State Department. So I was just kind of thankful that those things fell into place. So when you went private, yep. that was with the state. Yeah, so the state, does... the state department, they have um, contracts that they give out to private military contracting companies. So the most 
prominent one that a lot of people are familiar with is the one called Blackwater. So Blackwater and a lot of movies have like emulated Blackwater and they'll make it in this this group of like mercenaries and they're all bearded up and tattooed and they're called like Black Forest or Black Bear or something. But that's the most that's the most uh, well known one. And after uh, Blackwater got into an incident in Iraq, a company named Triple Canopy took over for Blackwater. And that's the company that I got hired with. So I got hired on by Triple Canopy that was being subcontracted by the State Department. And so I was doing that for a little while until I ended up going to the Department of Defense with another company called Global. And they were operating in Afghanistan, more or less doing the same things that I was doing in the military. It was all security. I was on an advanced team. So I would go to areas. Uh, if there was going to be a meeting in any particular area, uh, I was on the team that would go to that area first, secure the area, make sure that everything was good, uh, locate hard rooms like a room that uh, we might need to put somebody in if things happen or whatever. And then uh, we all had our specific jobs to do. And so, then, so these meetings, yeah. were they for just like a private company? They would be for uh, members of USAID. They would be... Uh, diplomats. No, not really. I, I didn't do much diplomatic stuff. Um, I just wasn't sure if it was like, hey, I'm a part of, I, just for example, General yep. Mills. You right, know, right, right, and, right. and they're having a meeting in Iraq. They right, wouldn't, right. but I'm saying we like. We hear you guys like checks Mix. <laughs> <laughs> so no, yeah. uh, can we make a deal? Right. You know, it, was no, just, it was just people from the government that were there to uh, oversee infrastructure projects and all sorts of other stuff. So we'd go to their Ministry of Interior, Ministry of whatever, mm-hmm. and they would conduct their meetings there. So I'd be on the advance team to go there and get everything good to go before the team got there with the um, – with whoever it was that we were bringing. And then I was on a low pro team and the low pro team, we were just kind of meant to blend in. So we didn't really wear the uh, typical uh, high threat garb that you see in like a lot of the movies. We were trying to blend in. We so were just trying to civilian, get in and get out. Yeah. Civilian clothes. And... Yeah. And then doing the same thing as an advanced team. Yeah. Um, and then with the DOD it was more or less, more or less the same thing. So that's, that mm-hmm. was kind of my life for a few years. Wow. Yep. Yeah, that that's that sounds like action movie stuff. <laughs> I'm very lucky because um, a majority of the time, you know, you're just there. You're pulling guard. You know, you're you're there. You you have a specific job to do. I was never. I'm honored because I have worked alongside and tr- and been trained by some of the guys that have done some of that movie stuff. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But where where they were attacked, right? Or... And we'd been attacked. Don't get me wrong. Like in the military and things like that. But it was, I wasn't in any like Black Hawk Down type stuff. Yeah. And, and it's weird being a veteran in that regard because I feel like you get cast with like you're a veteran. So they just assume like you were in Black Hawk Down or something like that or you got to be special forces or <laughs> yeah. something. I'm like, nah, yeah. I was just a grunt grunt. Like, you know what I mean? Just doing yeah. grunt stuff. It was just everyday, yeah. Yeah, everyday yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right. But you're, I'm sure you look at it and you consider like, I, that's kind of like what you just said a minute ago. You're you consider yourself lucky, right, not to experience that, right? You know, because obviously that that makes the transitioning into the civilian life even harder. Oh, sure, you know, and absolutely, I, and for you, it sounds like even just with your more regular, norm, more normal experience in the military, even uh, coming out of that into civilian life is hard enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And now we did, 
you know, we were in some firefights. Um, I did hit an IED in an MRAP, which is this gigantic, just monster of a vehicle. And I was very thankful that I was in that when that happened. But it wasn't as dramatic, you know what I mean, as it is in the movies. Mostly because there's no dramatic music playing. So you never know anything's coming, right? But it was, It's it was, not like that scene in the first Iron Man movie where Tony Stark is out in the desert and all yeah. of a sudden... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And then everybody just gets out of every door of the vehicle <laughs> on both sides. They're just taking contact from yeah, everywhere. Yeah. No, it was just... It was, it was more... It was quick. Like the firefights that anyone that I experienced was quick. It wasn't a long thing. So I'm very thankful for that. Well, well give us an example of, of one that you experienced. So there's a switchbacks, right? Which is like when you go up a mountain and it's like a path that kind of cuts through the mountain. So it kind of zigzags all the way up, right? And so that was a classic choke point where you were worried that uh, because you would have to slow the, the convoy down to get up the switchback. Yeah. And so whenever you're going up a switchback, you're always worried that something could happen. So there was a time where we were going up a switchback and across the riverbank, um, we started taking fire. And sometimes when we would move in our movements, uh, local vehicles would try to get in with our movement, not because sometimes because of you know nefarious malicious intent, and sometimes because they wanted protection. I was going to say they so, probably want to be protected. Right. They don't want to be targeted by whatever group right. is out there. Exactly. So I was driving an MRAP on this day, and I remember this giant tanker. It was like a fuel tanker uh, pulls into our convoy, and it was I think it was in front of me. And an RPG shot, and it skipped the top of it. Now, the fuel tanker was empty, but oh my gosh. fire started coming out of the top of it. I didn't know that, and I was driving. So, I'm like, the tanker was to the right, the riverbank's to the left. So, I drive up to get into a position for my gunner to be good, and I'm looking left. And in the back of my car is one of my best friends. He was a, he was a, um, best man at my wedding. I was the best man for him. Um, he's a godfather to my kids. I'm a godfather to his. And he looks like, if you remember Hightower from the Police Academy movies, he is that dude. He's this gigantic dude that people think is a professional football player. And he's a <laughs> Chicago cop. And uh, his name's Williams. And so Williams is sitting in the back of this MRAP. And we pull up. I'm staring across uh, the riverbank trying to see where this, where we're getting we're taking fire from. And I just hear in the back like, hey, Petey. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, uh, that truck you pulled up next to, it's on fire. You know that, right? <laughs> and I look over, and I just see this fuel tank, and there's fire shooting out of the top of it. And I just step on the gas and go because I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. Like, when you find yourself in those moments, it's just so chaotic. Like, you're just there. Right, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then that whole thing did not last, you know, more than— Honestly, probably five to ten minutes, and then we took some we took some fire with it too. It was a small firefight, and we returned fire, and then everything was done. And uh, yeah, I mean, when you think about it in retrospect, you're like, man, that lasted for like eight hours. You're right? Like, no. It feels it like, like it lasted yeah. forever yeah, in those yeah, yeah, yeah. situations. Yeah. yeah. So it was like little quick things like that. And we were just very lucky and very thankful that we didn't lose anybody because a lot of the other companies when we were deployed did. And there would be times where we would go through an area, we would drive down the same roads and we were okay. And then literally the next week, another company would, and one of their Humvees would hit like a pressure plate IED and kill everybody inside. And we're just sitting there going, we were just there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, it's that... 
it's just a profound, profound level of respect and appreciation that you get from just looking at things like that and understanding how close you could have been. Like I was up in the turret and we got mortared from across the riverbank once and it landed fairly close, not like super, super close, but close enough where like everything got really bright for me for a second. And I heard that like, that really Mm -hmm. high pitch noise, Uh, but I was okay. And uh, the trucks behind us thought that I got killed because they saw like the mortar landed and then they saw smoke and stuff. And they're like, Oh, that was PD. And my medic was he grabbed at my feet and he was pulling me down and asking if I was okay. And I was up there in the turret and I was still hearing the high pitch noise and I could just hear it start to come in. Uh, they were just yelling my name and I just screamed like, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> I'm fine. And they're just like, all right. Cause you're okay. like frozen right. in the moment. Oh, I just couldn't hear. Yeah. Cause it was bright and loud. I don't know what happened, uh, but like things like <clears throat> that would happen. And that mortar was shot at me, shot at us. That would happen. Most people that were deployed probably had some kind of interaction with mortars because it's a common thing. Yeah. But you look at something like that and you're like, if that was one more click on the mortar tube, that, that could have landed in my lap. You know what I mean? If it was any closer. And those are the things that really give you pause where you really just, like I said, just make sure makes it makes it that so that you appreciate everything when you think about those things. Every, I mean, and you don't have to be in the military to have moments like that. No. You know, in your death experiences, that happens to everybody. Every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Every single day. Yeah. But you sometimes, as unfortunate as it sounds, like sometimes you need to remember that it's that you need to be thankful that you're here and you need to be thankful and, and understand that you are lucky, even if you might not think you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because, I mean, I guess in your situation, um, for let's say – before you actually experience any of those moments in the military, mm-hmm. a person might think going in, oh, I'm going to be fine. I've got my armor. I've got my gun. I've got my my guys around me. You know, I'm good. But then those moments happen and you're like. <laughs> well, and I've had profound conversations with other guys that have been deployed since starting my nonprofit because I try to do a lot of veteran advocacy stuff. Right. So I'm talking one on one with veterans that are maybe sheltering themselves a bit, don't want to get out, don't want to talk to people. And one guy, I won't say his name, but he said something, he said something really hit it on the head. And now this guy, he's been, he's holed himself in his house and I'll message him like every couple of weeks and he'll respond once a year kind of deal. You know what I mean? But I still reach out to him. Yeah. So last time we got together, he told me part of the reason why he has uh, issues with PTSD and stuff like that is because he, they were taking, they were getting in firefights daily at the little outposts that they were at. And so he would have to pull a uh, guard. Where was in this? In Afghanistan? Yeah, it was okay. in Afghanistan. And um, he would see the tower and he would see it shot up, blown up, everything else before he even gets into it. And he told me, I had to tell myself that I was worthless because there's no way I could have any self-respect and, and get up in that tower that shot that shot up and blown up and things like that. Like I had to look at myself like it didn't matter if I died. And man, that kind of knocked me back a bit when he said that because I just thought about that. And, and, you know, common sense is based off a of common experience, right? And and to think that that's, that was his experience is very different from mine. And uh, I could see how that would give him the issues that he has now brought back here. 
So it's very difficult and it's very complex. I would I guess I never thought about it like that either. Mm-hmm. I guess at that point, if you're experiencing this day right. in and day out for days on end, you probably do really just see yourself as a pawn right. and you're, you're going to be replaced right. and that, that's going to be that. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's very that's a very hard thing to deal with, much less when you come back. And I think so many people have problems with identity as it is when you're changing jobs, when you go from being pregnant to having your child, when anything like that, you're like, okay, well, I was this person and now I'm trying to figure out who I am now. And so that is, that makes you very vulnerable. And then you add in any other factors that could hurt you. And then that's how, that's why I think people can get into a real bad place real fast by themselves. Um, at a time like that. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we could go, (laughs) I have still like so many questions just from like military experience, but I want to make sure that we get to like the, obviously the work that you're currently doing Yes, and how that comes into play and, you know, getting back to, um, you know, the veterans in Kankakee County, we have a huge veteran population in Kankakee County uh, stemming from as far back as, well, obviously a lot of World War II veterans aren't around yep. anymore, but, you know, it, it obviously stems all the way back then to present time. Right. Um, but with uh, Project Headspace and Timing, um, I know you had mentioned that you started that when your friend had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was, but let, let's talk about that if you don't mind. Yeah. So as a private investigator at the time. And when I was a PI, I was probably in other cities like three days out of the week because I'd done investigations in like every major city pretty much. And I was on, I was in Detroit at the time. And now I don't want to paint it in such a picture like he was my best friend. You know what I mean? Because that wasn't the case. Like we were mm-hmm. friends overseas. Um, he was so positive. He came into my room and it was his, he was new to contract. And so if you're new to contract, when you get to your team, you meet your team leader or your shift leader, whatever they're going to call it. And then after you talk to them, you meet your medic. I was a team medic. So he goes in my room, super positive guy. He, uh, I play guitar terribly, but I had one in my room <laughs> and he saw that and he's like, oh, you play? And I'm like, sort of. And uh, he said, well, we should play sometime. I'm like, all right. And so there were times where he and I would get together over the time we were overseas and we would just get our guitars and we'd sit in some busted up room and we would just play and we were terrible. But for a second, <laughs> you forget that you're a thousand miles away, thousands of miles away from everybody you love. You know what I mean? Like, and that was a gift that he gave me. Right. And so we lost touch over the years as, as, as that happens. And when I was in Detroit, I saw a GoFundMe come across my Facebook and I saw that it was a GoFundMe for him. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe he's just in the hospital or something. And it was because he was on his way to work, I believe, on a Thursday morning. And he pulled out a service pistol and just ended it. And I remember the drive because I remember what the roads looked like. I I just, I read that that happened. I got in the car and I was like, I need to go to the gym. I need to get something. I need to get this out. And my turn came up to the left, but I just kept driving straight And before I knew it, like I was just white knuckling the steering wheel and I was just tears were coming down my face and I just didn't like if it could happen to him, it could happen to anybody. Right. And when it happened and like all those cliches are true, they're all true. 
they happen to the most positive people that you're like, that person doesn't have any problems. Don't say that because they might. And I was so blown away that it made me question if, if he could do that, then, then anybody could, then I could, that could be anybody. And so I kind of was in a little bit of a dark place for a while. I relied on a lot of the guys that I served with and my wife and my friends. And it got me to read a book by Sebastian Younger, a war journalist. And the book was called Tribe. And it's a wonderful book, a short book, just about the issues that people that, that veterans have transitioning into the civilian world. And in it, he suggested to do a town hall meeting and let veterans share their emotional perspectives of war. Like, well, that's a great idea. So I went to the village of Mantino for the first time. And I told them what I was trying to do. And they were like, yep, you can take the Leo Hassett Center. You know, typically it costs this much, but don't worry about it. And they were so supportive. I'm like, wow, okay. Like little things like that really help. Because when you're vulnerable and you have to ask for help, anything that caught that like uh, presents as a barrier could just keep you be like, you know yes. what, never mind. I'm not going to do any of this <laughs> exactly. anymore. Exactly. And yeah, so you're so afraid to do right, that. Yes. And so thankfully, everyone in the community was just like, whatever you need. Yep, let's do it. And we had like 10 people show up, right? And so the first time you do anything out in public, you know what I mean? It's just such a punch in the gut when it doesn't go as well as you think. Yeah, but yeah. At the but very, it happened. It happened. And a veteran, an Iraq war veteran got up there and he shared his story. And it was a very powerful one. And his mother uh, at the very end gave me a huge hug and cried. And she said, I had no idea what he had been through. I did not know. I did not know how to ask. And then the veteran the next day texted me and said, man, that was the best night's sleep I'd had in a long time. Wow. And then all of a sudden I was just like, all right, yep, this is the right thing. This is what I got to keep doing. I got to keep doing this. Because if it helps one veteran, everything is worth it. Every hour, every second, all the blood, sweat, and tears of sleepless nights. If I can help one, great then it's worth it to me. And then that kind of just solidified my stance from there. And uh, I started volunteering at the veterans home. I was really just bringing beer out there and nobody <laughs> told me I couldn't do it because the veterans out there are so cool and they have the coolest stories. They have stories way cooler than like Captain America. When you talk to some of these guys, you're just like, what? Yeah. You did that? Yes. And he's just like, yep. And I'm like, uh, one of the guys out there, he'd been shot down on a plane, not once, but twice. He treated over a thousand guys in Korea. Uh, he removed an appendix in the field with nothing but a scalpel and a book. And I'm like, dude, can I get you something? Like, I'll name my <laughs> yeah. firstborn after you or something. He's yeah, like, just get me a six pack. He's like, no, I just like candy bars. I'm like, what candy bar? And I, I and he told me what candy bar, and I brought a bunch of boxes there. Mm -hmm. And then he yelled at me for making them fat. So I'm like, dude. <laughs> You have such a cool story. I have to give you something. I have to get you something, man. But yeah. doing those little things started to make me feel better. And um, and then I just started to get other veterans together. And I tried to figure out how to bridge the gap between veterans and their communities. Because their communities are super supportive. Ours especially. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Everybody's like, yes, we love to support troops. But sometimes they don't know how. And you have a lot of uh, veterans that need that support. And then they don't know how to ask. So it's about creating those environments where that dialogue can happen. And so that's um, that's kind of how that all all came to be. So when you had that first meeting, was it deemed Project Headspace and Timing at that moment? Or did that name come later? And what what does, and I know a lot of people, like when myself, when I first heard it, and actually for the life of me, I don't remember what what, what the meaning is behind the name. And yeah. I don't know if it, I'm, I'm sure it's got to be something to do with the military, but mm -hmm. obviously I don't have a military background. So what does that mean? 
So it wasn't, I always had that name in my head. If I, before I started a nonprofit, I was like, if I ever do, that's what I'm going to call it. Because so in the infantry, um, you know, depending on what your experience is, one of the biggest and baddest and most fun guns to shoot is the 50 cal machine gun, right? The big one. And now when you're using a 50 cal, at least, and I think things might have changed in the years since I got out. I believe that they have. But at the time that I was in, to use this big, powerful weapon, before you took it out on mission, you needed to use this little tiny uh, headspace and timing gauge. And what that was, it was two pieces of metal connected by a chain. And you would check your, you would you had to check your 50 cal to make sure that it was in working order with this gauge. And so this little teeny tiny gauge is responsible for making sure that this big bad weapon can fire. And so I loved that. I loved that name. And I wanted to give the nonprofit a name where grunts would hear it and be like, that's awesome. Because whenever <laughs> I would go and do speaking engagements anywhere and I would, and somebody would say the name of the nonprofit, the best is when like some Vietnam veteran in the back just like looks up and he's like, nice. I'm like, thanks man. That's for you. That's exactly what I <laughs> yeah, wanted to call so it. That. Like it clicks. He yeah. knows. Yeah. And then the headspace and timing also obviously double meaning. You know what I mean? The headspace that I, you're in, the timing now, after right. service. So now I totally get it. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's comparable to that little device. Yes. It, it checks to make sure if everything's all right. Right, right. That's it. That's it, and that's all. But yeah. it's a very important job. You yeah, know what I mean? it certainly yeah. is. <laughs> wow, I didn't. Yeah, see, I, I don't. I can't remember if you had told me that before in any of the times we talked. But knowing that now, it, it just it brings. It, it's more powerful, right? And and I wanted to make sure people knew yeah. what that was because there's so many people that aren't in the military sure. that might know or have heard about. Project Headspace and Timing, but they're mm -hmm. like, well, that's a weird name. Right. What the it's heck? long, like a long email. <laughs> uh, I should have thought that one through better. I wanted fat, P-H-A-T, but that was already taken. I'm like, man, I should have I known that would already be uh, taken. Then, then they would think you're like some rap or hip hop <sighs> group. Maybe, maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> that, could, that, that, that could come. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? We have to uh, trade in the guitar for some, some beat. So I could be maybe. terrible at that instead of terrible at the guitar. <laughs> I'm just twanging away trying to play my John Mayer or something like that. You know what I mean? I can play four chords super Gravity. well. Yeah, that's all you're going to get out of me is four chords. Uh, um, so, I mean, Project Headspace and Timing has, has been around for some time now. Mm -hmm. What are the, the big issues and barriers that veterans in Kankakee County are up against right now, just from your interaction with some of them, what are the biggest things that they are up against? It definitely changed because of COVID. I think so much, obviously, yeah, so everything. much changed because of COVID. But it's like, in my opinion, you have three types of veterans, right? You have the veterans, well, excuse me, maybe four, I guess. You have the veterans that are fine. They don't need help. They're good. Whatever they need to do, they figured it out. And then you have other veterans that need help. They seek that help and they get the help. Great. And then you have veterans that need help, will start to seek it. And like we were talking about earlier, when they meet that first barrier, they're just like, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And then they quit. And then you have the veterans that just drink themselves or, or do whatever to themselves. And they just lock themselves in a closet in their basement and don't come out. 
And that group is very hard to get to. But the organ, the, the, the demographic of veterans that I really try to work on the most is those that get help and then, you know, break off when they hit that little bit of resistance. So like doing the advocacy thing is just being there for another veteran, letting them know that, hey, like I understand, I get it. And you don't have to be alone if you don't want to be alone. If you want to be alone, great. But if you don't want to, I'm here. And I don't care if that means we just sit here in silence, we get a coffee, we get a beer, whatever. And just to make sure that we, when we get with those veterans, we get them to the help that they need. And it's so much more complex um, than I initially thought it would be. And I truly believe generations from now, they will look at the way that we treat mental health the same way uh, we look at the Salem witch trials. We're just like, you used to do what? Like, that's what you would do? Well, sh- shoot. I mean, it's even that way now. We look at um, the procedures they used to do out at the state hospitals yeah. in the area. Frontal lobotomies aren't that old. You know right. what I mean? They did and we, that stuff. Right. We look at that and we're like, what? And the, the whole um, hydroshock therapy, which I think is actually still a thing to Probably. some degree. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, yeah. but yeah, you look at the the pictures with the tubs and things like that. Dude. You're like, my God. One of my very close friends that passed away during COVID name was Ray Ollie. And I love that oh, man Ray very was, much. Ray was wonderful. He, he uh, was the we went to the same church. Legend. Yeah. He oh. was, he was a legend at, at St. Joe's. <sighs> I love that man. And uh, when he, he, he and I would have talks because I talked to him about, he actually did that, um, that first town hall. That's how I met him. Okay. And he was there and him and I sat in his, in his, in his house with his wife, Janie, and we talked for hours really late at night. And he told me about his experience coming home because he told me about what he saw. And he was like, yeah, they wanted to hook electrodes up to, to my head and shock me. And I'm just like, what? And, and just to, <laughs> to specify, Ray was a World War II World veteran. War II veteran. Just, right. just to give people yeah, yeah, perspective yeah. on, yeah. Um, so obviously uh, this is back in the 40s, right. 50s, and they uh, were using stuff like that at yeah. that time. And I can't so imagine insane. being a uh, a soldier coming home having mm-hmm. PTSD right and you know because obviously a, a lot of you know you, you read in the history books about well the World War II veterans they came home and some of them still wanted to feel that edge and that adrenaline so they started motorcycle gangs yep. and you know yeah, 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 all yeah. that it makes it sound so like <laughs> so great you know what I mean and then they started the A team or something but really it's like you have all these, and this is not just, again, a lot of these these thoughts are not just strictly for veterans, in my opinion, right? But you have these people that have these issues that need to get sorted out. They need to get discussed. They need to get shared or something. And they're just kept internally. And they just fester. And then you start to project your anger and frustration and anxiety on other people, which is usually going to be the people you see the most, which are your family and your friends. And then you start isolating yourself and you get into this weird place where there's this this miscommunication. And one of the veterans that I went to work with recently, uh, again, it will remain unnamed, but um, he's having, he's potentially having uh, some very significant delusions and hallucinations, possibly. And uh, a friend of mine and I went up there to um, check in on him. He lives out of state. And it was a, it was one of the most terrifying feelings I've ever had sitting there with him in his house. Because it was almost like Amityville horror 
kind of. Where what, you're just like, what happened because you experienced him having these hallucinations? So I've known him for a while. And um, we actually served together and things like that in the State Department. And I go up there and I visit him whenever I need to. He, uh, he has a family and things like that. And he'd, he'd been blown up I don't know how many times. I think 30 or something. Just an insane My amount. And so he's so many of his brothers have killed themselves. And I think in the past year and a half, I think he's lost like eight or nine guys that were in his company. And so he's having these issues and... The way that he's processing things, and like I said, I could be wrong, but uh, you know, he says that there's people that are coming into his house that are doing this, that, and the other, and um, his family was not there at the time. They were staying with a family member when uh, my friend and I got the call that we should go up there and talk to him, and you know, I get up there, and it's late at night, and I meet with my friend that I brought up there was another buddy of mine who we actually all deployed together. Uh, my friend had also tried to kill himself, um, but found the help that he needed. And now he serves as an advocate to other veterans. He's a phenomenal guy. And we get up there late at night and we're talking to him, the other one who uh, has these issues. And it's just the strangest, eerie, terrifying feeling because I knew him. I knew this man and this was not the man that I knew. And you're watching someone have these mental health issues and you're just like, you could read about it in books and articles all day, but you see something happen in front of you and it's it's just something else. You know, if you've ever witnessed a family member go through dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that, so tragic, right? And that's, the, that's an understatement. Right, it's especially so when this is someone that's a lot younger right. than someone who's yes. having dementia. Yeah, and it's about, so I see these veterans that um, they need help. And if a veteran is in that kind of situation, the police, they can't do anything, right? Because he hasn't really said he was going to, he hasn't been a threat to anybody, Mm -hmm. but he's got plenty of weapons. He said things that make me think he could be. And um, his psychiatry team at the VA, they don't know what's going on. Um, I mean, they, they claim that they do, but they only hear his story. So when I get a veteran that I work with, I try to build a safety net around them with their family members, friends, fellow service men or women. And I let that veteran know. The veteran's well aware that we're all talking together just so we can all check in because I think mental health is meant to be a community type of thing. I don't think it's just like, I need help. I'm going to go talk to one person. That one person's going to understand everything about my entire life <laughs> by meeting with them once or twice a day for 45 minutes or once or twice a week for 45 minutes and everything will be fine. It's like, I have a different understanding of you than your girlfriend does, who has a different understanding than your friends that you work with and so on and so forth. So I think you have to get them all on the same page. If you really want to help somebody get out of that hole. So, I mean, and I, and that need is, is everywhere. So super long way to answer your question. My apologies. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, but, you're fine. So yeah, you're fine. that in Kankakee, I, I saw that there was veterans that needed help, but, um, just kept uh, breaking off. And like, there's many veterans that I've brought to Heinz into rehab. I started bringing veterans there and I was a little bit more authoritative uh, when I started this because I would find out that a veteran like needed rehab and I'm like, all right, I'm going to bring you. We're going. Mm-hmm. And then I would bring them and then they didn't want to go for the right reasons and then they would get out and fall right back to where they were because yeah. they didn't want to go. Yes. It's all about the, per- yes. the person has to put the work in. It exactly. doesn't matter how much they're pushed. They have to want it. So I would, after that, I began changing things around, getting, you know, that safety net involved, telling them what 
the window of opportunity looks like when you have somebody in that moment where you're like, they're asking for help right now. If we act right now, we could get them into treatment. They want to go and they're going to do it and they're going to do what they need to do. And sometimes that means that a veteran's calling you at two in the morning and they're just like, I got to talk to somebody. Well, that's your window because if you wait until eight in the morning, maybe they don't want to go anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And about, and so once you have that safety net and everybody knows what they're looking for, then you can talk to the veteran, be there for that veteran. Hopefully when you see that window of opportunity, you can capitalize on it and you can get them over to the next method of treatment, whatever it is that they need. And, and everyone's different. Some people just need to go fishing with some other guys or girls, or some people need to go talk to a therapist once a week and they're fine. Mm -hmm. Others might need like inpatient psych, unfortunately, and that's how it is. But you'll never know until you get a lot of the people in that veteran's life on the same page so we can all start talking to each other. So yeah. I found that need and, and it was there before COVID. And then COVID happened and it threw everything into hyperdrive, right? Because now people are more isolated. Yes. They're not having their therapy sessions face to face. They're doing it over Zoom or something and they're not getting as much from it because obviously like you and I get to sit in front of each other right now, which is great because it makes the conversation better and more natural. Right. And it wouldn't be like this, unfortunately, yeah. if we had to Zoom. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done a face-to-face -face interview and all the different things I do with the other podcasts and, and radio Just shows hard. I do. Like, it's the first, this is the first time I've I've done an in-person interview in, you know, over a year. Yeah, and it's <laughs> so know, difficult. It's, it's, yeah, I'm is, sure you, yeah. I mean, I imagine, because I don't do that. You right. do. Right, I yeah. have to imagine there's there's something there that's missing. And a little yeah. bit, you know what no, I mean? There's, yeah, there's a little bit that, that, that you're missing, sure. And you yeah. have so much like with technology that can affect it and then just make it not as natural. Right. And so that had a really negative and that may not impact things such as interviews nearly as much. But I think when it comes to like therapy, you gotta be, you gotta be there with somebody. I mm -hmm. think you gotta be there sitting with them. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So we definitely saw a need during COVID when, uh, when really people were in isolation, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Even like you said, it just kind of put things, you know, snapped. Yeah snap things into to hyper speed, yep. Yep, so yep, to yep. speak. Absolutely. So, um, now I, I wanted to get, I, we, we've talked, you've talked about PS, uh, PTSD a little bit, mm -hmm. but there's so many different views and angles on PTSD. And when it comes to veterans, I mean, anybody can have PTSD, obviously, sure. but when it comes to veterans, um, and just the general public understanding PTSD from a veteran's standpoint, how do you ex how do you explain it to people? Because you can have PTSD from the military, and you may never saw any action sure. when you were in the military, but you have PTSD mm -hmm. from an experience, or maybe you didn't have a bad experience. It's just from being in the military sure. itself. So yep, yep, yep. I was just wanting to get you to kind of try to explain, just so people have a better understanding of yeah. Well, it's the one thing that's tough with PTSD is because you have that and it's like a big blanket statement, right? It could cover so many different things, like you said. Yeah. Maybe it's because you're a victim of sexual assault. Maybe it's because you were blown up. Maybe it's because you had a, a really aggressive, threatening boss and you finally quit your job and you're just now realizing you have PTSD from your old employer. Um, so I think it's. I didn't realize that I had it until my wife pointed it out, really, because we would be at grocery stores and she would always bring up like how anxious and irritable I get 
the more people that are around. This stra- I just I just get different, and I never really noticed that kind of stuff before. It's it's hard. It's characterized by so many different things, right? Like anxiety and depression, frustration, irritability, um, that could all stem from one traumatic event. It just depends on what that or multiple smaller traumatic events over a course of time, like I was talking about, like an aggressive uh, employer or whatever. So it's hard on on, on how to, in my opinion, on how to really put a specific label on it. But, and it can manifest in so many different ways, you know, but the the common ones are, you know, anxiety and depression and and irritability. Um, As it gets more advanced, depending on what caused it. And again, this is from an unprofessional opinion, really. Like I'm not, you know, a doctor by any means. I'm just, I wanted to get a veteran's take on it, you know. Depending on what that veteran saw, if that veteran got blown up an excessive amount of times, every time they would go over a culvert or something like that, then maybe every time they go over one uh, when they're driving, they have flashbacks. You know, I never really had flashbacks. I, there'd been moments where I wasn't sure where I was. Um, I've definitely had moments like that, but I've never had like a very vivid where I thought that I was somewhere else. But obviously that's another, uh, that's another common one too. <laughs> yes. But, um, but yeah, so PTSD, I feel like in the years that come, if they haven't already, it's really going to get split and dissected into a lot more manageable pieces, Mm -hmm. right? Because I just think, like I said, it's just so vague and it can encompass so many things. And we're just starting to understand so much about it. And as far as I know, the, was it the DSM-5 or whatever it is that psychologists and stuff use to diagnose, I I I don't think PTSD was in there for like a super long time. Like, I think it took a while before that ever got there, right? Yeah. So I think there's still a lot to learn about it. Um, and I just think that if you don't understand that you have a problem, it's so hard to treat it because you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Right. And you right. just think that you're being you and your family sees that you're being different and neither one of you knows how to talk to each other about it. So it just festers until it turns into something very unconstructive. And then in, in some situations, unfortunately, it can do a lot of damage, you know? Yeah. It's, it's important to, to seek out help. Right. Like we've been talking about, yeah. um, so we're we're uh, getting short on time. So mm-hmm. let's let's wrap up with how can people uh, get in contact? How can veterans get in contact with you? And also, how can people that aren't veterans uh, get involved with Project Headspace and, and timing? How can they get in contact with you? Or what are some of the things that you currently need help with mm-hmm. with your organization? So, uh, you know, our Facebook page, Project Headspace and Timing, our website, projectheadspaceandtiming.org, um, are ways you can you can follow us, uh, donate, anything like that. Um, if you need to reach me personally, uh, my email is eric, P-E-R-I-C-P's and Paul, at projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Um, you can reach out to me that way, too. Um, as far as things that we always need help with, our long-term goal is to build a transitional tiny home lodging facility for homeless veterans equipped with a community center and a treatment facility. Um, as we move forward with that, which I'll always keep updated on our different social media accounts, you know, we'll always need help there. Um, our veteran advocacy program with both St. Mary's and Riverside that we're, uh, excuse me, Amita in Riverside that we're working on right now, um, we always need support and help with that. And we are trying 
hopefully, depending on what the rest of this year has to bring, uh, doing a small festival in uh, Mantino, August 14th. We did a Heroes, Hogs, and Hot Rods in 2019 pre-COVID. Went very well. We're going to try to do something similar this year, albeit pared down probably because of the the world we live in today. Right. We'll have to figure out the, the safe way to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, so we'll be doing things like that too. So um, we always have different projects going on. We always try to keep it updated on those sites. So that's definitely the best way to follow, see what we're doing and see if you agree with what we're doing enough to make any sort of contribution. Wonderful. Well, uh, Eric, thanks for being the the first guest, the first episode. Yeah, man, on Kankakee Podcast, and thank awesome. you for you know like these desks. Right? Do you, I mean, we the way we set them in here is the way I left them. I think it's perfect. So, you like I think it? It's perfect. Yeah, it looks great. It's like it's not too cluttered. It just spread out enough. I yeah, it's perfect. Man. It, you kind of feel like you can just ah, yep. you yep. know spread yep. out. So I can't. I can't thank you enough for oh, yeah, for man. your help on uh, absolutely on getting these in here. That was uh, very kind of you, and and uh, really helped get the ball rolling. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Uh, on this podcast, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, uh, please uh, support Eric and uh, Project Headspace and Timing, and um, we'll definitely be definitely want to work with you in the future. Sure. With, you know, making sure getting the word out about Absolutely. your organization and, and getting the, the help and the funds and all that stuff mm-hmm. that you guys need. So um, I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Kankakee Podcast, the podcast about the people and places of Kankakee County. Uh, you will be able to find a new episode every single Monday from now on at kankakeepodcast.com or where Wherever you listen to podcasts, all the major apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that fun stuff, Amazon Music, you can find all of us there. Please subscribe, give us a rating there, and uh, a review too, if you can do that, because it really does help and go a long way. You can uh, reach out to me on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Kankakee Podcast. Uh, you can also sign up for our mailing list at KankakeePodcast.com. There's also a uh, contact forum that you can fill out if you want to contact me there. Or my email is KankakeePodcast at gmail.com if uh, you're looking to be a guest on the show or just have any comments suggestions whatever it is that uh, you need to get a hold of me about um, you can uh, shoot me that email podcast at gmail.com now I will tell you the next episode that is uh, going to be released is going to be on Monday May 17th a week from this one being released and it will be with the um, the uh, <laughs> the Kankakee County Museum, because nice. uh, yeah, we're going to be working with them uh, once a uh, once a once a month on a uh, episode that'll be historically based, which, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. So I believe uh, that's going to be the next episode coming your way. So thank you so much for listening, and uh, I can't wait to get to know more of you as uh, we continue Kankakee Podcast. So thanks very again, cool. Eric. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Thank you.